Welcome back to The Big Dig. On this episode of the Project Spotlight series, we take a look at the extraordinary partnerships that have brought together the unique and future-forward project 121 Seaport. Joining us on the panel are Carolyn Desmond from Skanska, David Nagahiro of CBT, and John Savillo of PTC. This group provides insight into the project from construction design through end-user experience. Thank you for listening to The Big Dig. Last year, the construction, design, development, and engineering sectors claimed over $1 billion in R&D tax credits. Layton, the industry's leading R&D tax credit specialist, can make sure you're not missing out on your benefit. For more information, go to Layton.com. That's L-E-Y-T-O-N.com. Layton. Megan Doherty here from BuildUp. Thank you to PTC for hosting us uh, at 121 Seaport. Let's meet our panel. David, why don't we start with you? Uh, David Nagahiro. I'm a principal design principal for 121 Seaport. Hi, Carolyn Desmond with Skanska Commercial Development, Vice President of Development. I worked on 121 Seaport throughout the whole process. John Savello from PTC, Vice President of Real Estate and Workplace. I uh, was involved with the site selection and uh, design and build out of 121 Seaport. All right, so let's start with the history of the building. Carolyn, why did Skanska decide you wanted to develop in the seaport <laughs> when it was basically just a bunch of parking lots? Yeah, I mean, uh, Skanska is always kind of thinking ahead, looking at the potential of any given area or project, and Seaport at the time was ripe for change. And we were um, going to build on spec, and we thought the market was right time to do so. We came into the Seaport in 2011 with our first development at Watermark Seaport. We then acquired two other sites, 101 and 121 Seaport, shortly thereafter in 2012 and 2013. Proximity to downtown, the lack of Class A office and space available at that time was the right decision for us to come into this kind of master plan community and really make a footprint and make a difference in this area. And once you decided to build, David, I'm sure you can assist with this question, what challenges did you guys run into and what other goals did you have from the beginning with this project? David and I worked a lot on some of the challenges, but he can speak to a lot of the design. The project started with no tenants, so we had a lot of leasing challenges at the beginning, but then ultimately were successful. But when we were looking at the site, there was challenges with um, creating a building over top of the tunnel, the subway tunnel, as well as doing something different and unique and really standing out in this area. I mean, David can talk to the initial design thoughts on the. So three sort of challenges that, that we found uh, starting on the project and uh, Silverline Tunnel really cutting through the corner of the uh, site. The FAA limited the height. And so it was a little bit of a challenge with uh, the density on the site and then resiliency in designing for sea level rise. So the Silver Line Tunnel probably posed one of the early challenges that really turned into an opportunity, I would say, uh, to create the elliptical-shaped building. Uh, Landing a a single column on the other side of the Silver Line Tunnel was one of the big challenges, and we shifted the entire massing to avoid that and creating the opportunity for the elliptical-shaped building. Another one of the challenges was the FAA restriction because we're within the flight path of the Logan Airport. You know, we're limited to 250 feet in height in restriction, and many of the buildings in the seaport are limited to that uh, height. The impact of the uh, limited height and the cost of the land and development really meant that everyone was trying to maximize density on the site. So how could we do that in a creative way? And then thirdly, addressing the impact of resiliency, uh, sea level rise. So we raised the lobbies to be above the floodplain as well as the transformer vaults above the floodplain as well. So let's talk about the unique shape of the building. Obviously, a lot of that came from the silver line being underneath. Why do you guys think that it was also important to the relationship to other buildings and how it fits into the site? 
the way that 121 is positioned, and, and we worked really hard with CBT to create something that was iconic kind of into the center of the seaport. So we set back the entrance and made this cant in this elliptical shape to have this presence kind of right onto the, what we call this forecourt, the main heart of the seaport. And I know that was something that I know John and a lot of the tenants were interested in kind of being in the hub of the area. And the shape, there was a lot of buildings going up in the seaport that were pretty, you know, rectangular and a lot of glass. And there was a lot of feedback about that. I know when we were trying to figure out a design, something that was different, something that was really unique and stood out, that was some of the inspiration for what David and his team did. The Silver Line Tunnel was, yes, it was definitely a challenge. We had to kind of shift gears a little bit into the design to accommodate that. And then the shape is also something that's not done a lot. So we were curious about, is it efficient? How does it work for tenant layouts and that kind of thing? So we spent a lot of time making sure that it was the right design for our tenants that are ultimately our customers. Yeah, I think the what was interesting about the timing in 2014 when we first started the design was that the financial district was you know, getting filled out, and this was sort of the new frontier. So there are a lot of being, uh, buildings being planned for the seaport, and the idea of really creating something unique was uh, interesting. And, you know, Skanska being sort of innovative and sustainable at its core really created that opportunity doing something unique on the site. I think the Silverline Tunnel was actually a happy accident mm-hmm. that really forced us to think outside of, literally outside of the zoning envelope to come up with that unique shape. And it was funny, just a small anecdote, if, if I will, if I can. When we were excavating the site, because the tunnel was during the big dig and there was not a lot of records on this construction of this tunnel. So as we're excavating and we're trying to build the garage, we realized there's, we're encountering a lot of this concrete below grade. And it comes to find out that we had to go to the archives of the MBTA to look at pictures to really figure out how the MBTA constructed this tunnel at that location because we couldn't figure out, based on the record drawings, it wasn't matching what we were finding in the field. So we had to shift gears. We have our, our civil group and construction group also with Skanska. We all kind of worked together with CBT and the structural engineer, McNamara Salvia, and tried to figure out how to get around this structure. And it was really a kind of an interesting challenge that we faced because of this being so close to the silver line, but uncovered a lot about the history of what happened when they did the big dig and they did that tunnel. So it was kind of neat. So, John, why don't we bring you in the conversation and ask what drove you and PTC to move to the seaport and what about this building in particular brought you here? Sure. The move of PTC to the seaport was a transformational move for the company. It's the corporate headquarters. Historically, it was located on 128 for the first 35 years of the the company's existence. So our leader wanted to move into the city. And we uh, evaluated Cambridge and then, uh, and then the seaport. And we kind of stumbled along the Skanska project at 121. And the first time we saw the building, we were uh, blown away by its uniqueness. Like I said, we wanted to kind of make a big splash, have a transformational move for the company. And the building, uh, when, you, when you first see it, is striking. And uh, we knew it was a, a great opportunity. And we worked with Skanska and were uh, fortunate enough to secure the, the lease and then we embraced the, uh, the structure of the building, the geometry of the building with our own fit-up. So um, we used the same geometry, and we have a radial core on all of our floors. We really tried to uh, continue the design and concept that, that Skanska and CBT uh, created for our own space. So it's been a, a massive move from the suburbs to the city, from uh, 100% assigned to 100% unassigned space, from 600 closed offices to no offices. So the rate of change in the project for PTC has been significant. And how do the employees like the new office? Well, they love it. They love the space. So um, it, it couldn't be any more different than where we were on uh, in Needham. Um, the, the natural light that comes into the space, the fact that there are very few walls, 
Um, so you, you have these incredible views of the harbor on one side, the city uh, proper on the other. They like the fact that they can see their colleagues. I know I see all my colleagues every day now, and I used to see them once or twice a week. So there's a lot more collaboration going on. There's a lot more energy in this space. And now that uh, the summer's around, they've gone out and explored the seaport itself. And it's an incredible neighborhood, Very uh, a lot of vitality, a lot of uh, lunch and, and shopping options. So just the neighborhood itself is uh, something that the employees are really enjoying. And then the going to 100% unassigned was probably the biggest challenge. Uh, most of the employees had never experienced that before. I had never experienced that before, but uh, I was an evangelist and told everybody it was going to be okay, and, uh, and it's worked out. It's really activity-based workplace strategy, so you go based on what you need to do on that day. So um, if you need to uh, have some quiet time, you can go to a, to a chair out by the perimeter and, and enjoy the view and, and, and read or, um, or, or think. Um, if you need to use a workstation to create a PowerPoint or work in Excel, you can go to a, a, a workstation. If, you, um, if you're collaborating with members of your team, you can go find a collaboration area where there's a couch or, or some open tables and you can, you can engage with them there. So um, the idea is to get away from that kind of fixed position desk every day and now you can go to any location on any floor on any day to, uh, to do what you need to do based on the work that you need to do. And I'll, I'll say something based on what John said. It's really cool to hear, uh, you know, our tenants t- that move into the building talk about these things that we really tried so hard to design with CBT and with um, and had this vision for, you know, open floor plate, 360 degree views, column free space, views of in every direction around the city. And to hear that actually that's something that they enjoy and are, are uh, taking advantage of is really is really rewarding, I know, for, at least from a developer, and I'm sure from a design perspective, David. <laughs> yeah, I think from a design side, you know, it's kind of like a relay where it's really handing off that baton. And, you know, your interior designer also, I think, did a great job at embracing the shape of the building and really uh, taking advantage of it. And I just find it remarkable that they went from, you know, 100% assigned to 100% unassigned, which is remarkable for a company who's, you know, established that sort of a rigor and then have gone completely free flow. Yeah, it's been a great transition. And I think we're a much more agile company now because of that. I could just give an example where we also put the technology to do censoring on every desk so we know what the utilization is uh, real time on every floor within the space on any given day. So it gives us the ability to change our seat assignments on the fly. So at the end of quarter, we typically give more seats now to the finance group and the sales groups because that's when they're all in, whereas some of the other uh, core groups um, aren't in the office. So we put a lot of technology into the space as well, and um, I'm really excited about that censoring technology because it gives us great data so we can make decisions with real information so we can maximize the efficiency of the space. And, and for that to be successful, you have to go 100% unassigned. Otherwise, uh, you're checking you know, who's in and who's not. So that's not the intent. We just want to know um, what groups are in on a regular basis. And in my career, I thought everyone was pretty consistent, but the data shows that the groups are very different in terms of uh, their utilization. So uh, it lets us create models for the different groups now. So you bring up technology, which in preparing for this, I've heard from everyone, it's really played a key role in the process from design and construction. Um, do you guys want to talk about you know, the different technologies you've used since the very beginning of the project? Yes, from the design side, we used uh, augmented and virtual reality from the start. So that was one of those things in 2014 that, you know, there was, it's, what's interesting is the uh, technologies had evolved since that time. So what we started with is not what we ended with, uh, but the idea that using it from the beginning 
So early on, we used uh, virtual reality to test the unique elliptical interior shape, and you know a lot of that came from Scanska wanting to make sure that this elliptical shape had an efficient you know floor plate, and so the comparison compared to a rectangular floor plan really proved that the ellipse was as equally uh, efficient, if not more efficient, than a conventional rectangular plate. Uh, the VR, we also used it for the uh, interior design of the lobby. You know, not only thinking about the shape of the lobby itself, but thinking about the visual impact from across the street from the Seaport Square Park and how the lobby actually reinforced the dynamic forms of the ellipse. We used the augmented reality to prove the success uh, successfully uh, using it to design the free-flowing uh, wood furniture in the lobby as well and allowing us to scale and uh, proportion the bench in real time in the lobby. Uh, we used uh, virtual reality with the city uh, with the uh, during the approvals process for the BPDA and the BCDC. You know, visualization and animation, we typically used physical models for a lot of that, but the VR allowed us to walk through the building as well as uh, really viewing it from many different angles uh, and from the city scale at the same time. Some of the other things that we use the technology for were, you know, simulating heat gain and optimizing building and orientation, so really reducing the solar impact on the building, using it to simulate and the impact of prevailing winds uh, for human comfort at the ground and the public realm. We also used it to really think about the, the impact on the structure. Typically, the wind was the prevailing wind was coming in at the prow of the building, so the ability to it uh, uh, sort of uh, forming it like an airplane wing, so the air, uh, wind was actually going around the building. So Typically, when you do that, that wind would be hitting the building and it wanted to be sort of an overturning moment, but we were sort of avoiding that, so we were able to reduce the amount of structure in the core because of that. Uh, also, uh, simulating daylight studies and understanding where we could reduce the dependency on artificial lighting. And maybe the most profound uh, use of the AR or the VR was with the uh, marketing and the leasing and the brokers. So they were able to get up into the building, you know, from the second floor to the 10th to the 17th floor, really understand what the views were 360 degrees around the building, looking out towards the harbor, looking back towards the city skyline. So it was a very useful tool that way. Yeah, I mean, David hit the nail on the head. From a construction and development perspective, we actually did a really cool um, 4D animation. The building was constructed in a way that you, you build up as you're excavating down to so this up-down construction. So um, our construction team developed and our civil group developed this really cool 4D animation to really explain how this project was being built, as well as you know the clash detection to eliminate a lot of conflicts with some of the MEP trades. And then, of course, everything is done on, we did everything on BIM 360, which is a, a tool that used in the field and to help with design and coordination. As David said, the the value of the VR in leasing was huge. We were able to bring all the brokers around, show them what the space looked like or what it was going to look like. And it was funny, we actually went back afterward and compared it to what it was, and it was pretty darn close. It, it was a really impressive effort from the CBT group. So that was really fun. And then the I know David also talked about this, but this is kind of a cool thing. The, this furniture in the lobby, if anyone ever goes and checks it out, um, we wanted something that hit all of these different points for us, both comfort and artistic and just really a cool feature in the space. And we went through millions of iterations and it was all done by us being able to be in the space virtually and see how that furniture was going to fit before it was constructed because it was a very expensive handmade piece of furniture and so we wanted it to be perfect. So we were able to use a lot of cool systems to technologies to develop a lot for this project. So it's been fun. And then of course, John. Yeah. And we used it as well as part of the tenant fit up. So um, in, in my job, I often have to try to explain concepts, design concepts to senior leaders and when you're looking at plans if you're not in, you're not used to that it can be difficult so we used uh, virtual reality create fly-throughs of the uh, proposed space 
uh, on the typical floors and also through our CXC, our customer experience center on 17, which is a very complex floor. So we were able to create these models and, and give them a visualization of what the built environment might look like. And, um, and then that turned into some real-time engagement with them about what they liked and what they didn't. So that was, that was very valuable. Uh, and then, of course, all the, the improvements in uh, modeling and coordination with construction with BIM 360 and Revit. Um, on this project, I could see, you know, real time the, uh, the impact of that where our mechanical contractor was using a fab shop overnight and parts were delivered to the site in the morning and just basically hung by the pipe fitters in this place. You know, beams were just put up in one day. So the, uh, the advantage of that technology, the coordination, the ability to build a lot of this uh, material offsite and bring it in and hang it was uh, really helped compress our schedule and save money. So let's talk about the little interesting story of Harbor Way <laughs> and how you guys have incorporated that into the project. Sure. This was May of 2016, and our office at Skanska is right next to the site, so we got to watch everything happening all, all day. It was pretty cool. And I'm sitting there with my boss, and we, we kind of get a tap on the shoulder saying, I think we found, from our superintendent and our project manager, they came over to the office, said, we think we found a boat in the hole. We're like, what are you talking about? Uh, looked out the window, and sure enough, there is the outline of this 50-foot schooner um, two levels below grade during excavation. So we didn't know what to do, <laughs> so we stopped construction. Of course, called our, our PR and firm and said, you know, what's the best way to go about this? But, you know, we don't think we really had an obligation to do anything, but ended up calling the city archaeologist and having a lot of people come out and determine the history of this boat that we found and really what was, you know, let them find some artifacts in, in the um, from the ship. And it turns out this boat was carrying lime from Maine, and it came down to the tidal flats, which was what the seaport used to be. And I think there was like combustion or something on the on the boat. In the boat, they just let it scuttle and and fall to the bottom of the flats. So as we're digging, you know, 30 feet below grade, we uncovered this schooner. Probably it was built in the 1700s, and it's probably scuttled in the late 1800s, is what the archaeologist and a group called PAL found out about the shipwreck. So it was a really neat opportunity to allow um, people to kind of discover what used to be in the seaport. Then with that, we were like, okay, we have to do something to kind of pay back to the community and to the city about, you know, what this cool um, history of this area is. So we decided to create, uh, we are always had this 70-foot pedestrian promenade between 101 Seaport, which is our other uh, building we developed, and 121 Seaport, and decided to create kind of an outdoor museum that would show, talk about the history of the seaport both with augmented reality and which is you know something that PTC actually collaborated with us as far as the 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 technology that is involved in that and also just have have a little outdoor museum for the public to come really learn about what happened at the seaport as well as a, a big sculpture that is a replica of what was found for the boat in the in the excavation so kind of a neat neat story um, always something I like to talk about it was really fun time and uh, ended up being a really good win for everybody I think and I think John do you guys have furniture? Oh, yeah, here yeah, made from some so of the we do um so obviously you know carolyn told me about it i read the uh, globe story and tracked down the uh the uh, cabinet maker who purchased the wood and uh contracted him to bake our boardroom table so our boardroom table is made out of the uh the timber from the ship which is really uh, we're really thrilled to have that up there oh very cool yeah the material was kind of deteriorated so you couldn't really do a whole lot with it but we donated to this local artist the timber guy and he was able to um create a lot of neat artifacts for for some of the tenants and we have some in our building too so, so let's shift gears a little and talk about sustainability on the project in the design and then within the the space now that you guys are you know what you're doing as the tenant 
Sure. So the fact that the building was Lee Platinum was something that was very appealing to us from the beginning. That's one of our pillars of our culture is to, uh, is to, is to be sustainable and efficient in everything we do. We encourage employees with volunteerism. We try to get people active in, in social issues. So the, the company's very progressive in that way. So, so the challenge for me is to make sure we build out our space as close to as efficient as uh, Skanska did with the base building. So, um, and we did that, and we have a very robust recycling program. We have composting. Um, we really try to engage employees, and if they have ideas, we want to implement them wherever we can. So the Lee Platinum was something that was very appealing to us as a prospective tenant when we first uh, located the building. That's great to hear because that's part of the reason we do it right. But Skanska, it's kind of one of our core values. It's not really checking the box. It's just kind of built into our DNA. 121 is pretty unique. We not only, like David said, did we decide to move the transformers and vault for electric up above to the third floor for resiliency purposes, but for sustainability, we have a 40,000 gallon water retention tank that feeds the irrigation and the gray water into the toilet. So that's kind of a unique feature. Um, the chilled beam technology, which is a mechanical system that's super efficient um, in the tenant space is something that brings down operating costs and is a comfort level for tenants that's not in a regular building. Some other things, you know, a lot of vision glass allowing daylight and and John even said like how valuable that was to his employees. A lot of vision glass and um, natural light I think has been is a really big feature of this building. So Dave, I'm sure there's a lot that I missed. but Yeah, no, those are the major components. And I think, you know, the idea of getting to lead in the highest lead rating, you know, it's a green building council sort of scoring a system of water conservation, waste reduction, as John had mentioned, uh, energy efficiency, basically trying to create that healthier building, healthier environment. So things like the stormwater harvesting, the chilled beam, I think, you know, not only is it a, a more efficient way, it's a, a it's a cleaner way of delivering uh, cooling, which I think we liked very much. Um, the heat recovery units and the daylight was a big one. Uh, we really spent a lot of time to, and Skanska was really uh, on the forefront of really trying to create that higher ceiling height to really drive that natural daylight into the floor plate, which I think is greatly appreciated. The thing that's so unique about it, though, is that the building, I think, really goes beyond lead, which I think for Boston, when uh, uh, the seaport was coming about, it was really touted as the innovation district. So it was really great to be able to team up with Skanska at the time to really build an innovative building in the innovation district. And so for the components that were sort of uh, impacted by the elliptical shape is that, you know, we were able to create 10 percent less exterior skin uh, because of the efficiency of the ellipse uh, in compared to a rectangular floor plate. There's 15% less heat gain because of the shape and orientation on the site, so both passive design strategies. So really reducing that uh, solar heat gain on the building and then reducing the structure, as I had mentioned, because of the aerodynamic nature of the, uh, the building shape. One of the other byproducts of that is that because of the shape and the way it was oriented on the site, it had less, it cast less shadow on the Seaport uh, Square Park and Harbor Way. So there's more daylight and more uh, sky brightness that was reaching the public realm. So I think that was one of the things that we really liked about uh, the building itself, that it wasn't just a lead rated building. It had something more to offer. So we touched on, John, the move here and how the employees have been adjusting. It's interesting to have you here to chat about the user experience of the final product. And I think it's also brought about a cultural shift within your company. Yeah, absolutely. Um, over the last five years, we've acquired a lot of companies. The company, the core business is a CAD business, but uh, we've moved heavily into IoT and augmented and virtual reality. So a lot of the talent that we need is uh, in the city or, frankly, still in in, in the colleges around the city. So it made sense to physically relocate the company uh, into the city closer to uh, prospective hires. And uh, 
No, that's a big move coming. It's only 10 miles, but um, coming from 128 to Boston is a major impact in terms of the commute. So um, I think the company was really forthright in terms of dealing with that. They, uh, they encouraged people to take public transportation. They gave people a uh, stipend to offset the uh, additional commuting costs associated with that. Um, I think we felt we would lose some people, but we really haven't had a material uh, departure from the company. So I think that validates the decision certainly to come to Boston and the, uh, and the design of the space that we built here. And the other big issue, too, is access to the airport and have a place that our customers can come as a premier destination to see our technology. And that's what we built on the 17th floor. So, you know, now a customer from Europe can land in Logan and get an Uber or a cab and, and actually be in our building in 10 minutes and up in our customer experience center in 20 minutes meeting our, uh, our sales team. So just the proximity to the major airport is a, is a major improvement for us with our, uh, with our customers. I've seen that area. It's very cool. Yeah, I, I like to be able to tell you what all that stuff does, but, uh, but I can't. But, uh, yeah, I came out. It came out great, and we used a museum consultant to help us with those experiences. So it's not your average customer briefing center. It's a place where, uh, where customers can actually engage with the technology, which is critical for us because so much of our technology is cutting edge. A lot of times the customers don't know yet why they need it, so we need to have a way of showing them the potential, and, uh, and that was the thought in, in terms of creating that, that space. So wrapping up, I think one of the things we also want to touch on is the important partnerships that you guys all you know had working together and how this has kind of reimagined an office building. If you guys want to just kind of give your final thoughts on the project, David? I would say the timing was perfect. The timing for the city and the evolution of the Seaport District and the idea of wanting to do something innovative and the teaming with Skanska, who had at the core of what they believe in is innovation and sustainability. So the ingredients and the timing and that alignment alone, I think, afforded uh, great opportunities because they were very open and enlightened to the opportunity of doing something very creative and inventive in the seaport. And the fact that you know John and PTC followed through with the next generation of that sort of innovation and creativity with their uh, interior designer, I think was was amazing that you know typically we often lose touch of our tenants that go into these buildings. And uh, I think the fact that they picked up that baton and just took it to the next level was an amazing opportunity. Carolyn? Well, working with CBT and PTC has just put a nice bow on kind of the entire process. Like, like David said, we have, we have these vi- this vision, right, and this, um, these goals for these, these projects. And hearing John talk about you know, recruiting and retaining talent and all the things that we try to create from the very beginning with these unique projects is really cool. Partnering with someone like CBT and who really can create this vision with us and and build a building that is iconic for the city and for our customers, our employees, I think is is really special. So, and then working with with someone as David mentioned, like PTC and John, who want to just embrace it and make the best of it and really carry it forward for their all of their employees. So it's been. Great experience, great partnerships with both both firms. Yeah, obviously I agree. I mean, it's been it's been a great uh, partnership. We've worked really well together. I think all along, um, you know, when we signed the lease and we went out and looked at the space, my uh, my thought was uh, a lot of times you, you're leasing a box and you're saying, okay, how can I make this special? Uh, in this case, I know I, I told our architect that okay, we have this amazing canvas, we just can't screw this up, right? So um, it's kind of reverse and. Uh, and I'm really thrilled about the way it turned out, the fact that we, uh, we embraced the, the shape of the building and we really tried to push the technology and the workplace strategy as far as we possibly could. I'd like to take all the credit for that, but our CEO and our leadership were, uh, were supporting me. And, and uh, I think part of the reason it was so successful is because they were behind it as well. I mean, it's one of those projects where just everybody was 
focused on the same goal and, and working together. And uh, it was a great experience. And uh, the fact that everyone was focused on a, on a great project is why we had such a tremendous, uh, tremendous deliberate, deliberate environment. Excellent. Well, thank you guys all so much for joining us here on The Big Dig. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. BuildUp has recently launched an information technology platform that allows the construction, design, and real estate development industry to be in the know. Follow the entire pipeline of construction and real estate development at buildup.com. Are you in the know? If you like the Big Dig podcast, please follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, or in the Apple iTunes store.